Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is the text from which my assignment comes for this weekend. We're going to begin in verse number one. Most of you know it by heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you say amen? We once again turn our attention to David's ode, David's kind of song or praise to the great shepherd of his soul, Jesus Christ. And I want to dig into the text that we begin to look at or the verse that we begin to look at last week. He leads me beside still waters. And my subject is the greatest leader. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and by your power, most of all by the authority and the presence of the Holy Spirit who makes the word of God real to every single one of our hearts. And we pray that it would penetrate and do its work and change and transform us into the image of Jesus. In his name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. Our world has had many great leaders. They are known for fantastic, wonderful traits. MLK, the power of a dream against all odds. Winston Churchill, fearlessness and being resolute. Walt Disney, creativity and innovation. Nelson Mandela, the power of a just cause and personal sacrifice. Gandhi, the power of living by example. Lincoln, the willingness to never give up. Harriet Tubman, courage. Rosa Parks, the willingness to stand up when she sat down. Mother Teresa, serving. Each one a great leader in their own right and great for all different sorts of things. But then there is Jesus. And if you know him, you know that he stands alone all by himself. He is the greatest of the great. He's the one that MLK would tell you gave him the dream, who against all odds didn't just defeat any evil in this world, but defeated the greatest evil in this world, sin, to an against all odds resurrection. The one who defines fearlessness and being resolute, who stared down man's eternal enemy sin and nailed it to the cross without flinching at the price of becoming a bodily sacrifice in full payment for that sin. The one who doesn't just possess creativity and innovation, but who is the creator and designer of everything that you and I see. He's the one who created in six days the oceans and the mountains and the animals and the galaxies and the planets and the moon and the stars and the heavens. And then in his unique and unmatched creativity, he designed and created with two fistfuls of dirt, the most complex creation of all time, you and I. He is the one whose cause was not just just but eternal. He's the one whose sacrifice wasn't just noble, but needed. He's the one whose example was so transformational that throughout all the ages, no one has ever been able to hang a fault on him. He's the one who defied the urge to quit and set his face like a flint to the cross in front of him because of the joy that was set before him, which was your salvation and mine. Courage, he embodied it. 
He, he sweat drops of blood over the prospects of being separated from the Father. But he stayed the course. And he was able to proclaim it is finished. He was willing to stand up, ask the Pharisees and political leaders of his day. Ask the woman caught in adultery. Ask Mary with her alabaster box. This is Jesus Christ. God manifest in the flesh, the creator of all things, who in humility became a servant of all in order to silence the voice of sin and shame. He is the greatest leader of all time. He has no equal. He has no parallel. He stands alone all by himself, the greatest of all leaders. And last week we kind of ended up talking about letting him lead in our lives. We said we need to let him lead in every way, in every decision, small and great, in our families, in our marriages, and in in the lives of our children, in our finances, jobs, and investments, in our stewardship, in our choices of friends and relationships, in our weaknesses, and in our strengths, when life is blessed and when life is broken, in what we do and what we choose not to do, and what we say and how we say it, and where we go and when we go. And we said that this leadership, letting him lead, is the key to the peace that we often forfeit in life because we don't let him lead. And as a result, we are burdened down with a big burlap bag of worry that we towed around because we like to do it our own, our own way. And this is a piece that God wants to give us when we let him lead that we said is a piece that is a ruling piece. It is something that, that, that governs your life. It is something that says everything is okay on the inside even when everything is not okay on the outside. The Bible calls it a piece that passes all understanding. David's promise in this, this, this little verse of this psalm, he leads me beside still waters, is he leads me to the place of a peace that passes all understanding. And so today what I want to do is I want to pick it up from there, and I want us to talk about the different ways in which God leads. And as we talk about the different ways in which God leads, I want to go back to the metaphor that David is using, that God revealed himself to David through, and that is that sheep shepherd metaphor. And I want you to know that the first way and the primary way that God leads us is the water of the written word of God. Now, why do you, why do you call it the water of the written word of God? Because sheep drink in three primary ways. The first way that sheep drink is they, they get the water on the dew or that the dew that's on the grass. So every morning and every evening when the sheep uh, are, are grazing, they're, they're drinking. It doesn't look like it's drinking, but they're drinking. And, and the shepherd has to make sure that they go and they, they, they graze before the sun comes up and then after the sun goes down so they can get the water that they need, clean, pure, uncontaminated water from heaven just laying there on the grass. Now, it doesn't seem like it's drinking. It doesn't seem like it's the shepherd's doing. But in reality, it is because if you were here last week, you know that in and around the area that uh, David raised sheep, Bethlehem, it was dry and arid. It wasn't a place where green grass would naturally go. And so the shepherd, first of all, in order to make sure that the sheep could drink of the dew that was on the grass, had to provide grass. And so the shepherd would have to go and work the ground that was dry, work the ground that was rocky, work the ground that had weeds, cultivate it, water it, make sure that it grew. And then once the grass was there, then the dew would do its job. And 
I just want to remind somebody that God is working on the stony places in your life. He's working on the weedy places in your life. He's working on those situations to ensure that you have a place that you can graze. And not only will the shepherd provide the grass so that the dew could be on there so they could drink, but the shepherd would get up early, early in the morning before the sheep ever thought about standing on their feet. And the shepherd would get up before the sun came up and go and kind of lead the sheep to the pasture land and make sure they grazed. And then after the sun went down, the shepherd would be there again to lead the sheep back out to graze. And so the shepherd was there before the sheep got up and after the sheep left. Doesn't the Bible say that the shepherd of our soul, Jesus Christ, doesn't sleep or slumber? That he's always working on our behalf behind this. God doesn't need a nap. God doesn't need to take a break. God doesn't need to call a time out. God doesn't need to get catch his breath. God is always working to make sure that you and I are nourished the way that you and I should. And this is this, this first water source. This is the primary place that sheep graze and, and get drinks from and have their water supply. And they need that for vitality and they need that for life and function. Just like you and I need water for all of those things. And this is really likened onto the word of God. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, listen to what the Word of God says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. Notice the Word of God is likened onto water. And just like sheep, when they graze, On the grass they grow because they're getting the nutrients from the grass, but they're also getting the water. When you and I graze on the word of God, we are spiritually healthy. We are mentally healthy. We are physically healthy. Deuteronomy talks about us not just going to the word of God a little bit here and there, not even just one time a day. But listen to what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19. It says, you shall teach them, speaking of the word of God, to your children. Speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. The nourishment and perspective that we get by starting our day. Notice, when you rise up. Starting our day in the stillness of the morning cannot be overestimated. In places of scripture, we see Jesus rising up a great while before dawn in order to get away and pray. If Jesus needed to pray just to make it today, how many of you know we need to pray just to make it today? We need to be prepared for what the day has. And when we start the day in God's word, we are ready to walk in the world as the more than conquerors that God has made us to be. And then if we come back and graze again in the evening time, what happens is that we wash the dirt of the day off of us. Because how many of you know you can start, you get ready for the day, then you go out in the world and the world challenges everything that you read in the word. You got to go back to the word. You got to clean up from the world so that your mind can be right at all times. The word of God is our spiritual nourishment and it makes us healthy. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter four, verse number 20 says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. 
The abundant life that Jesus said he died and was resurrected to give us is found as we let the life of God permeate through our soul and permeate through our spirit and permeate through our mind as we get into the word of God on a regular basis. As we graze, we grow. Don't just go to it one time during the day. It should be on your mind. It should be in your mouth. It should be going over again in your head. Even if you just read a little bit of scripture the rest of the day, think on that scripture. Say that scripture over and over again. Stand on that scripture. It is so important in our lives. It makes us healthy. It makes us grow. As we graze, we grow. But then not only that, it's likened on the water because it is essential to our spiritual, mental, and physical health. But it's also the number one way God leads us. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is. It is, it is our basic instructions before leaving earth, right? That's what the Bible is, is, is called. You see, this is where we learn the things that we need to know for life in general. Is this right or wrong? What does the word say? What should I do with my money? What does the word say? What is the definition of marriage? What does the word say? How should I respond when somebody does me wrong? What does the word say? How do I fix my marriage? What does the word say? How do I discipline my children? What does the word say? How do I relate to an unfair boss? What does the word say? How do I pray? What does the word say? So many go without simple answers to everyday issues because they are not being led by the word of God. They are letting people or politicians or the news or culture lead them and they are lost and have no peace. The word of God is where we get led. It's the primary way. We need a voice that is sure in uncertain times, right? The Bible tells us that the word of God is a more sure word of prophecy, right? If you are going to be healthy and strong, you've got to Continue to feed yourself the food that you need for spiritual nourishment, and it affects every part of your body. God and his word are one. Matter of fact, God said, I've exalted my word even above my name. He watches over his word, waiting to perform it. He leads us by his word. There are so many people, you don't even need to pray about half the stuff you pray about. Because God doesn't need us to pray. If he's already told us what to do. Some things don't need prayer. They need discipline. Discipline to do what the word of God says you ought to do. So many people praying about stuff that God has made clear in his word that we ought to just obey. See, when it comes to the word of God, we have to understand it is better than gold. Though we take it for granted. I don't know if we understand what we have in the word of God. I'm I'm not sure that we get it. I think we just think it's another like, you know, uh, inspirational book. You know, I need a little inspiration. Uh, So I'll go and I'll read a passage of scripture. I I don't think we grasp what we have in the word of God. David did. Psalm 19 verse number 10. He said, more, speaking of his words, are they to be desired than gold? Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. I don't understand. I don't, I don't think we understand what we have, but I know this. Both the devil and God do. Both the devil and God understand what we have in the word of God. Do you know that there has never been a book more scrutinized, criticized, researched, ridiculed, dissected, sliced, diced, banded, burned than the Bible? 
Kings, governments, emperors had tried to wipe it out, but it just keeps on living. It's like the Energizer Bunny. It takes a licking and keeps on ticking, right? When you read about the history of the Bible, Christianity was outlawed in its infancy by the Roman governments and its rulers. Much of their efforts was directed at destroying the Bible. One such emperor was Diocletian. And he issued royal edicts commanding that the churches be leveled to the ground and the scriptures be destroyed by fire. Matter of fact, the reason why the Romans hated Christianity was not because Christians believed in a different God, because they were polytheistic in those days. For them, the more gods, the better. But Christians were different because they said, Jesus isn't one amongst many gods. Christians said, he is the only God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. And they hated Christians for that. And that's why they try to take Christianity out. Not because they believed in a different God. And Diocletian came along. And he tried to have all of the scriptures burned. One historian writes, multitudes hastened to deny the faith and to surrender their copies of Scripture. Many more bore the most horrible tortures and refused with their last breath to surrender the Scriptures or in any way compromise themselves. And after this edict, by the way, that he put out there to have all of the Scriptures burned and the churches burned, he boasted and he said, I have completely exterminated the Christian writings from the face of the earth. But did he? History tells us that the next emperor to come to power was Constantine. And Constantine became a Christian. And Constantine wanted to provide scripture for the churches. And he couldn't because he thought that Diocletian had got everything burned up. And so he put out a reward there. And he said, anybody that brings me copies of scriptures, I'll give this reward to. And within 24 hours, 50 copies of the Bible showed up. Today, not just 50 copies of original manuscripts exist. Over 25,000 copies of original manuscripts exist. The New Testament alone has over 16,000 copies of original manuscripts. The earliest dating back to 50 AD. You don't have any idea what that means, do you? Jesus died in 33 AD, 17 years after the life of Jesus, we have original manuscript proof, not just a little, not just here and there, but over 16,000 copies of the New Testament for, for a, a historical document. That is like something being written the next day. Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, hundreds of years after the event, and they are considered to be historically reliable. The Bible is more historically reliable based on manuscript evidence and the years from which it was written to the events that it described than any other 10 contemporary books of its time. Do we realize what we have in the word of God? Maybe Jesus was right when he said heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. The devil has tried to destroy it, discredit it, make it culturally irrelevant, redefine it, because he knows that if you live your life by the word of God, you will be led to the still waters of the good shepherd. But God is watching over his word. The Bible says he watches over his word 
waiting to perform it? Do we realize what we have in the Word of God? I said it earlier in this series, but I'll say it again. It is health to our flesh and food for our soul. It washes us when we're dirty, corrects us when we stray. It reminds us of who he is, who we are, and what is ours. It strengthens our faith so that we can remain steadfast when all hell comes to shake us. It teaches us right from wrong so we don't get confused by culture. It is truth in a world of relativism. It renews our mind and feeds our spirit. It fills our heart with hope. It reminds us of what truly matters. It guides our steps and lights our path. It calms our fears, cleanses our soul. It leads us in the paths of righteousness. It can be trusted. Its promises are true. Its words are reliable. You can build your life on it. And because of that, it produces peace in our lives. Oftentimes, saints are without peace because they are spiritually malnourished. If you go without water, you start losing your mind. You you can go without food for a whole lot longer than you can without water. Your water, water is essential for your cells to function and everything. You lose your mind. How many have seen some crazy Christians? That's because they, they don't have the water of the word working in their lives. Just one word from God can change everything. One word from God. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the world's We're framed by the word of God. Now I don't have time to completely break this down, but this is not talking about what God actually did in Genesis, which was speak the words or the worlds into existence. That's not a reference to that. How do I know that? Because there are three Greek words used for worlds. One is geise. That means earth. One is cosmos. That means universe. Neither one of those are the, wor- are the word that is translated world. The word that is translated world is aeonos. And literally what that means is specific history in man and mankind's life. And here's what that verse is telling us, is that God gave a word to specific people who have lived in mankind's history, and they embraced that word, they stood on that word, they believed on that word, and they became history changers. And that's why the rest of the chapter says, by faith Abraham did this, and by faith Noah did this, and by faith this one did this, and this one did that, and the other one did this, because they got a word from God, and they believed that word from God. It changed their life, and it changed history. If you want to be a history changer, and if you want to see your life change, you've got to understand the value and the importance of the Word of God in your life. You can't live without it. I mean, you can. But when you live without it, you live far less than what God wants you to be. One word from God can change everything. But then number two, the second way that God leads us is the water of the rhema word. The water of the written word, but the water of the rhema word. One of the other water sources that shepherds would lead their sheep to were deep wells. And these are like great prunes that were chiseled out of rocks. And they had ramps running down to the water trough that was at the bottom. And an onlooker would look and think that the shepherd was leading the flock to their death. Because to get to that water, you had to go through some dark, deep, dangerous places. What is that akin to in our life? 
It's what the Bible calls a rhema word as opposed to a written word. The rhema word of God is a word from God, of course, consistent with his written word, that God makes real to you, so real to you, that nobody can tell you or talk you out of it because you know that you know that you know that you know. And it's often as you're going through the deep, dark, dangerous places in life that rhema words become apparent to you where you really understand and where you really hold on to and embrace what the word of God has to say. It comes alive in your heart. It is no more something you're just reading on pages, but it is now something that is tucked away and buried in your heart, something that becomes part of your core beliefs. And what I love about the rhema word of God is the enemy uses deep, dark, dangerous places to steal the word of God from our heart. But if we stay faithful to God, what God does is he makes the word of God more real in our heart during those exact times. Listen to the difference. Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 14, the armor of God. I won't read it all, but it says, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. By the way, if you don't know the truth of the written word of God, you can never stand. Do you know why Christians fold like a cheap blanket? They just don't know the word of God. So the culture starts, you know, talking about, well, this and that and the other thing. And instead of Christians being able to stand, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Of course. Why? Because they don't know the word of God. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. That's the written word of God. Notice it's at your center. How many of you know if your core is not strong, the rest of you is not strong, right? And the way our core gets strong, the center of our being, is through the written word of God. Have that. That's the first thing that's got to be in place in your life. And then verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation, watch this, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Notice that it mentions the truth, which is the word of God. But then it says, and something different, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What is the difference? The belt of truth, the center is the written word. The sword of the spirit, that is the rhema word. This is the word that God makes so real to us that we're not just walking out the scripture in uh, in, in willing obedience, but now we are walking out the scripture because we really, 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 really believe that it's so. See, there's two types of walks. There's the walk of obedience, which you'll be blessed for. If you don't understand it all, if you don't agree with it all, because how many of you know, some people come into the church from the world, they got a lot of unpacking to do, Right? And it's at that stage of the Christian walk that you just have to walk in obedience. This is what the word of God says. God is smarter than me. I may not get it. I may not understand it, but I'm going to walk in obedience. And if I'm willing in obedience, I'll eat the good of the land. I'll be blessed for it. But then you enter into a second phase in your Christian walk. And that second phase in your Christian walk is when you're not just doing it out of obedience just to honor God. But now you're doing it to honor God and you believe it. 
and nobody can tell you otherwise. And so this is a word that becomes real to you, a word that says, it's not just a description no more that says he's provider, but it's I'm broke and I'm still giving God my tithe because I believe he's provider. It's no longer just the scripture says he's healer, but the doctors told me there's no way I'm going to live, but I believe I shall live and not die and declare the glory of God because it's in my soul. It's no longer something I'm just reading on pages. And the best way I can describe being led by a rhema word is the Excalibur sword. Anybody know the Excalibur sword? Right? That was the, the sword in the stone, in the rock, King Arthur's sword. And, and, and all the strong men in the land and the warriors would try to pull it out of the rock. But it was only somebody who had kingsly royal lineage that could take that sword out. And when that person who had kingsly royal lineage took that sword out, that sword was different than any other sword. It had, they said, Magical powers. Do you know what happens when a child of God who has kingsly royal blood on the inside of them takes the rhema word of God and begins to wield it in their life? It creates a path through where there should not be any path in your life. You just keep whacking and whacking and whacking and whacking and whacking. It creates that peace that passes all understanding. It works like it's got magical Powers, miraculous powers. Why? Because it's Srema to you. It becomes the thing that guides you in the dark when you can't see the light of day. But God said, but God said, but God said, but, God, but I know it doesn't look, but God said. And so what happens is in those deep, dark, dangerous places, sometimes you can't even see in front of you, you can hear the voice of the shepherd. Because the voice of the shepherd is consistent with the word of the shepherd. And when the word is rhema to you, it just rings in your ears. Every time the enemy shows you something different, that rhema word guides you and leads you. One last one. One last way God leads us. The third way is the water of the Holy Spirit. A shepherd also leads his sheep to streams of life-giving water. And these were often streams that were fed by, by water that came off the mountains. Clean, pure, without parasites. And by the way, did you know that sheep, even on their way sometimes to clean water, will stop and drink polluted water? It's amazing, isn't it, how much we're like sheep. On our way to where God has taken us, on the good things that God has for us. Because how many of you know God only has good things in store for you? I know it might seem sometimes like it's deep, dark, and dangerous, but you've got to trust that the shepherd has taken you to a good place. Right? The sheep will start drinking some dirty water. And then you get parasites. And then you get poisoned. And you get all this stuff going on because, because there are a lot of Christians that think they are smarter than the word of God. Oh yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I don't really believe that. Okay, drink some polluted water if you want. But see, these, these mountain streams, they, they, they created this place, pure, clean water, and the shepherd would, would take the sheep to that place, and the sheep couldn't find it on their own, 
And moreover, if they try to go out on their own, they would be attacked by a predator on their way to those streams because oftentimes those streams weren't necessarily by their pasture. So the shepherd would have to lead them. Listen to what Jesus said, John chapter 7, verse 38. He said, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or his belly will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit. So this type of leadership is what I call a flow. How many of you have ever gotten a flow in a relationship? You know what I'm talking about? Where, where you kind of just, you kind of know each other. You know what they're going to say. You know what they're going to do. You know when they're going to rise up. You know what they want for dinner. You know, you know, you know everything. You know what irritates them. You know what they like. You get, you get into a relationship flow. There is a flow that exists with the Holy Spirit. It's a sink where it's, where it's, where it's constant communion. Where it's, it's, it's always a, it's an instantaneous check that goes on. Decision before you and instantaneously there's this, just, okay, that's, that's, that's fine. Oh, no, I shouldn't do that. This constant flow, it's a green light, it's a red light, it's a stop sign, it's a pause. It's, it's, it's checking in with the Holy Spirit on the inside. It's living in that place of flow. And, and this is where we begin to walk in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. And the result is rivers of living water. Now this has two applications. The first thing that it literally is a reference to is being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. That's what out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He said, well, Pastor, why, why is this important? It's important because prayer is often how God leads us. Is that not correct? Prayer is where we get direction and correction and instruction in righteousness. But how many can be honest and say, I've actually had circumstances that have befuddled me in my life. I didn't know how to pray. Has that ever happened to anybody? Or your mind is so overwhelmed, you can't form the words and you don't want to, you don't want to pray or you have no, 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 no oomph in you. Well, that's when God has given us something called a heavenly prayer language. It's called praying in other tongues. And this is where we pray according to the scripture, perfect prayers, even when we don't know how to pray. First Corinthians chapter 14 verse 12 says, for he who speaks in an unknown tongue does not, tongue does not speak to people, but to God for no one understands him or catches his meaning, but by the spirit he speaks mysteries or secret truths and hidden things. This is where we can be led by rivers of living water. God, I'm overwhelmed. I don't feel like praying. God, the situation has got me so turned upside down. I don't know how to pray. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in other tongues. Rivers of living water, being led by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I believe, based on my own experience in life, that when you pray in the Spirit, you get wisdom. Because what happens when you pray in the Spirit is that it bypasses, your mind shuts down. Because the only reason that prevents you a lot of times from getting the wisdom that you need is your mind is running too fast. And what your mind needs is it needs peace. And so when you pray in the Spirit, what happens is a peace settles in over your mind so that you can hear the voice of God. And God begins to give you wisdom, and you are led by the Holy Spirit. But then this word rivers, literally translated, means rivers, torrents, and floods in our lives. Rivers, torrents, 
and floods. And these are all meanings in the original language. In other words, when we're led by the Holy Spirit, we have constant rivers flowing through us. That means we live in purity. We live clean. We live holy. How many of you have heard preaching like that in recent times? See, the reason why we are not living clean lives is because we are living apart from being led by the Holy Spirit and having a river, the river of the Holy Spirit, the river of the Word of God, washing us and keeping us clean and keeping our walk holy. I can't, I, I don't understand sometimes the debates that Christians get, get in over stuff that is clearly identified in the Bible. What are you doing? What are you, who are you listening to? Rivers, clean, purity. It keeps you. And when he, the Holy Spirit washes you. But then it also means torrents. This is a violent flow of water that clears out anything in its path. Watch out if you mess with somebody that's being led by the Holy Ghost. You might just get washed away violently, quickly. See, when you're being led by the Holy Spirit, God goes before you and he violently gets everything out of the way that's in your path that is not supposed to be there, that's going to trip you up. I always look at stuff that is in my path, not as though God didn't do his job, but God took everything out of the way that he knows I can't deal with and anything that is before me, me and the Holy Ghost are good enough to handle it. Torrents. But then there's floods. And floods, this is when a body of water overflows. An existing body of water overflows. How many of you know that when you're led by the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God comes pouring out of your life and it starts getting everybody around you wet? I like hanging out with people who are led by the Holy Spirit because you just get enough, you just start getting wet with goodness, wet with blessings. Hitch your boat to the right people. The right people are the people that are being led by the Holy Spirit. And in all these ways, God leads us. And the reason why he's leading us is he wants us to live at that place of still waters. Spiritual nourishment, spiritual fulfillment, where we have a peace, in the midst of everything that's going on in life. He truly is the greatest leader. Nobody else can compare. Would you stand to your feet?